like people that do business on day-to-day business where your KPIs are daily um, you know it's like I am just a, a guy who writes and talks about strategy the most of the time but there's a, I have a unique appreciation for people that are actually executing on a daily basis that's that's hard work like if I did one thing told me if you told me to do one thing and do it well it's like I'll probably die because I, you know, I don't have a unique skill that I can do on a daily basis or I'll mm. be bored doing one particular thing on a daily basis but you know I kind of a kind of appreciation for like how companies are built like you know a deep appreciation for the staff like the people that actually do the work on a day-to-day basis like the people that answering the phone from customers mm. on a day-to-day basis like that's a you know, that's a tough job right From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. Okay, so so what's happening? What are we talking about? I guess we could start with, like, I thought we could assess what you think, because we're coming up now on, like, Two years of a pandemic, right? And like, obviously, getting out of one. <laughs> but like, who you were? Which, which, which podcast are we actually recording this on? Don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I still wear a mask. Uh, yeah. If you think about like February 2020, yeah, like what you were doing at that point and hey, like what it, mattered to you. Wasn't it March that we actually got kicked into? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. But I'm saying like February. You didn't yeah. even know this was going to happen in February. Uh, I, I could see the, the the things showing up in December. As in, if for example China closed down this whole country, 1.4 billion, you clearly knew that something was up. As in, these guys are still scrubbing uh, up. Um, what's it? Those same amusement parks. If just one person actually catches COVID, so mm. yeah, these guys are taking it. For real, for real. Even, but like, yeah. how do you assess the last two years of your life? Uh, uh, it was a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it was a struggle. It's uh, different, right? Yeah, all I can just tell you is like 2019, 2019, things were actually on the up. As in the I feel like 2019 was, was the good time. Yeah, it was a good time. So it was like, it was like things were going as in I was necessarily hitting the gyms like at least three times. In the week, I was going for my ballroom dancing. And business like, is good. Yeah, business is good. <laughs> business is good. And business things is better now. So yeah. I don't know why you're complaining. Uh, hey, 2019 was still a struggle. As in, uh, 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 well, not 2019, 2020. Because the thing is that I hired like seven plus people. And then we went into lockdown. 21 oh, days. 21 days it turned into what? 2.1 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, nah, it's a learning lesson, but uh, anyway, at least we're still here. At least we're still alive. It was the how do you assess it? Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a roller coaster. All right, it's like 
you kind of, I think with the pandemic, you kind of figured out what you actually like. Cause what really mattered to you, like, showed in that time, my yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly your interests, right? Like, what are you interested in? Like, you, you, if you're smart enough, you just dive into um, the things that interest you, right? But you kind of need it to be... Uh, in a comfortable place to do it. It's like everybody's experience was not necessarily the same. Like, you know, uh, people lost their jobs, people needed to figure out how to carry on with their lives. Like, you know, uh, the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, you know, like it was very roller coaster. But you kind of, um, if you if you dive deeper into your interests, you kind of figure out what you actually liked and then you could, uh, could upskill yourself based on that. But, you kind of require the opportunities for you to do that as well. So not negating that other people didn't get that opportunity to find themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You started that like entire thing with us, like doing um, e-commerce lab stuff, basically yeah. like trying to start a bunch of e-commerce stores, yeah, whatever. Campus. And then now you work for the like. <laughs> <laughs> they just saw that the same names like labs, like ah, let's just slap it to TFG. Now I work for a lab. <laughs> now you work for another lab. It's like the amount of time of 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 things that have to happen in between to get you in that place is like insane. Yeah, yeah. Like hmm. sometimes these things fall into place uh, based on luck that arise from decisions that you make. For me, like writing a newsletter, I'm um, sharing my ideas. But that's not luck. Like it is starting well, a newsletter that the ramifications of that <clears throat> is, is essentially luck, right? Like I didn't mm. know it was gonna blow up like it did, so I just you know it's like something that interested me. Like like when you share your ideas mm. with the world, like it, if it resonates with somebody, they'll pick it up. Uh, when yeah. when when's the next newsletter by the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't need to do that anymore. Well, <laughs> He's made it. No, like uh, that. The newsletter thing is so interesting. Like, but it's kind of writing. It's very hard to actually finish um, writing because now I feel like there's an added pressure to have like like very concise thoughts about the world, how you know you view things. Uh, but yeah, it's like. You kind of you kind of want the feedback of that, but you you need to share your ideas. So I'm I'm still writing. Mm. I wrote a piece about the metaverse, uh, but it was an internal piece. Like uh, for when COVID started, I never heard the term metaverse in my life. Did but it now exist? I hear it every day. <laughs> <laughs> Did it exist? It's do you think that? Do you yeah. think that COVID and the reality of the last two years has accelerated the need for an alternative reality? Well. Think about why it blew up. Like people wanted to escape their the reality, right? Everybody was locked and confined into a very small space, mm. and you had, did have those human interactions. Like people found that in gaming, um, in general work environments where you know, like co-collaborative working in a, in a in a visual tool that morphines in, into a headset. Um, so, well, Dali was well positioned. <laughs> I was not well positioned. <laughs> uh, uh, Oculus, now known as Meta, because it's not reality labs or something. No, well, I, I'm not too sure if it's still Facebook reality labs, but Meta, literally, I remember it was 2020. They had no stock of the Oculus Quest. Then they released the, the, the latest one, the Quest 2. This was, I think, around September, October. Then they proceeded to still have no stock for the remainder of the year. And then we had 2021. 
And yeah, but all I can just tell you is that as much as it was well positioned, there was no hardware. But you were working like already on virtual reality stuff three, four years ago. Yeah, uh, 2018, yeah. How's your perception of what's happening now Hmm. versus how things were when you were working on it earlier on? Uh, There's just more competition, especially distribution-wise, South Africa. Uh, the more people are actually distributing the same product that we're actually selling right now, which means that I think we were going in the right direction. Because I think if people are actually copying what you're already doing, it means that clearly you're actually onto something. Hardware-wise, things have really, really improved. Um, I had not necessarily known much about VR, maybe whilst I was in university, but it wasn't something of interest. I remember there was even like a Google, a Google Gloss. Um, people were lining up to try it out. I did not line up because I was like, if this thing is actually going to become a thing, I'm actually going to try it out sooner or later, right? And then it flopped, of course, right? So with... Um, the, Do you think um, it works more now? Uh, no, that was still a heads-up display. It was like literally like a little window here. I, I know from the descriptions which were put on to the internet, but uh, when you talk of VR, um, 2018, uh, it was Oculus Go. So anybody who knows about the Gear VR from Samsung, you had to put your phone in and you could actually move your head around. I thought those are dumb. Yeah, exactly. Like so it was the same thing for me. It's like, this is absolutely dumb. So you, you As an move, experience, it was yeah, stupid. You could move your head around or whatever, <laughs> but you couldn't necessarily do anything else. No. So, like... so the things that um, at the time, uh, it was Oculus Go that we were selling. And it did quite well. 360 cameras, people could actually put on the headset and actually move around. I saw those in a video recently. Yeah. Um, what's that? Unbox therapy. Like. Yeah, yeah. So that was one thing. And then it was uh, Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift, that's the thing that actually just blew my mind, right? Where you could actually move around the whole room, uh, not the whole room in, in actual fact, but the main fact is you could actually move your body to actually experience whatever was actually happening there. Then 2019 happened. Um, I still remember late 2018 went to San Francisco, Oculus Connect 5. Um, so that was an annual conference that um, Meta, as they are now known, used to hold every year to actually give updates. And that was still under like a beta and the likes. And this is like truly wireless VR that you could actually immerse yourself in one form or another. So 2019, that was the Oculus Quest. The first one that came out, um, quite heavy on the head, but it still did quite a decent job. Then 2020 came about, that's when they released uh, the Oculus Quest 2, if I'm not mistaken. I think it should have been 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was a great device, lighter than the, the very first version, probably even the same size as the Oculus Go, similar to the Gear VR. And um, things have really just been moving, where even HTC is bringing up like slimmer VR headsets which uh, soon enough will actually end up turning into like the sunglasses or the spectacles that Oops is actually wearing. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the direction where yeah. VR is essentially going because mm. it needs to be an everyday product. True. Um, so you kind of need to not feel that I'm in this world. Like mm -hmm. it just needs to be, um, you know, interconnected with your life uh, to make any sense. Like I, It kind of feels like there's always a company that finally breaks through on certain technologies or like really making them more commercial in that sense so like for me you know the electric car thing that's tesla that's a very easy one right mm, and then mm. i don't know you can name other well, Spotify, streaming no it's like you, i guess you kind of but like what i'm asking is like do you think that facebook is the company most best positioned 
to solve this or ah, make this they've like got the most amount of money to yeah, throw. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the thing is that they're the only probably one of the few companies that's still run by the founder, yeah. right? And you have to think yeah. of it this way, right? Like computers are essentially platforms, right? So, um, you know, when the personal computer came out in the early like, late seven, 1970s, early 80s, um, it kind of created a like a computing platform from the inner home, right? Um, your Apple's, your IBM computer. And then what happens is that over time, that the the hardware, essentially the OEMs, the, the price decreases. Like it, it becomes, it's expensive when it starts out, then everybody manufactures, it becomes a commodity. And then the, the superseding thing from that platform is essentially the operating system. Like mm. how Microsoft dominated the operating system for the desktop, and then that dominates for a while. And then another platform comes about, like mobile computer, like the smartphone came out. Um, and then you have dominating, plat- then the smartphone goes cheaper with more OEMs uh, manufacturing. Then the operating system on top of that becomes a dominant, uh, uh, you know, the provider, like your Android for for these other devices and then your iOS for Apple's. And then now when you think about what's the next generation of a computing platform, you're probably looking at... Uh, VR, right? And that Facebook understands that. Uh, but the thing is that as VR gets, you know, the proliferation of the hardware gets more in the world, the, the most important thing is that you kind of need to have the operating system, right? You, mm. That's what you monetize. You open the ecosystem. Um, like if people want to build immersive gaming, immersive experiences, they need those developers who creates those developers, yeah. right? That's why you have, uh, because uh, that's why you have Microsoft and Facebook trying to go after this uh, world is because they missed the, the mobile revolution. Right? Uh, Microsoft understands that they missed the mobile revolution. They kind of want to play again into these platforms, right? But now, when you think about the metaverse, is that it's interconnected to this other world, which is called Web3, right? It's like, um, and then, you know, Chris Dixon uh, said this thing about uh, the blockchain. The blockchain is essentially a computer that can make consensus. Like, it's a virtual computer. Like uh, the Ethereum runs on a, vir- on a virtual machine. Like Ethereum virtual machine. Is it called that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Ethereum. like you know that's that's another computing flat platform, but it's totally decentralized. Like, uh, but what kind of experiences that can you build on that? Because it builds on top of existing. Uh, what is Web three? and i'm gonna like i'm gonna throughout this whole conversation Mm. i feel like i'm gonna create those pauses where we just go hey yeah everyone just talks over people with these terms throws them at them and then Mm. you're just like standing there at the end of the interaction going what the fuck did he just say yeah because you have no idea what any of it means so Mm. let's start here like what's web three three at least for me, it feels like it's an overloaded term, but it feels like we're just tokenizing um, the internet, right? Where everything can actually be a token. We can talk of like the Lucha token, right? For people who actually listen to the podcast, they can actually be rewarded for actually listening, right? And I think it's an exchange of value, um, in a sense, uh, compared to what we had before, where the value per se was likes and retweets, as in I'm obviously throwing... Twitter and Facebook under the bus, and even um, even Instagram. But now it's a case of if someone really feels like you're valued, they can actually pay you. And that's why I think um, Ether, or the, the native token for Ethereum, is being seen as um, the, the currency of the internet, right? 
where for instance people can actually exchange value in one form or another like for instance i'm heavily into nfts um i like a piece a person's piece of art i can actually pay for it i get uh, a token saying that i'm actually the owner of it the person gets money for that um but yeah i think it's just it's an overloaded term even like the whole thing of linking to metaverse it's kind of ironic because i'm like yeah i was in ar and vr and web3 never necessarily crossed anybody's mind it's just more of a case of right now there's a monetization and um to keep it in very simple terms web3 just seems to be the fact that we're tokenizing the internet and uh we're just trying to keep a, a ledger of um accountability in a sense compared to what we had in web2 where Every big company has a centralized database, fine, they could be distributed, but it doesn't mean that, for instance, you can maintain the integrity. So even like with a bank, bank, you just trust that their database is up to date. But when they're trying to communicate amongst other banks or other uh, countries, there is a whole lot of manual work. And that's why yeah. I think with Web3, it's more trustless than anything else. I, I kind of like going back into history to try and understand where the origins of each um each element of uh, of what exists today came from, right? Like, okay, what is Web three? Okay, to understand Web three, you have to go to Web one, right? What is Web one? Web one is essentially the creation of the internet, where people can read stuff on a computer, right? Um, but the ramifications of that is that it created a, a sort of world where people didn't have property rights now on the internet, like uh, newspapers, newspapers, artists, um, musicians, uh, you know, like lost the the, the rights that they had in the physical world where, you, you know, like a song can be easily, uh, you know, uh, you know, copied and stuff and distributed freely amongst, amongst other people where uh, before you kind of needed to have a, a CD uh, to, to, to play music, right? And then uh, going from that Web 2, what is essentially Web 2? Web 2 is essentially the mobile age, right? Mm. Where you had all these big, big platforms that built on top of the internet, right? So these big platforms um, essentially controlled distribution of information around the world. Uh, you had Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook, Google, your Apple, your your Twitters, your etc. Right? Um, you know, with that, it created another problem where you know people's people no longer had the ownership of the ideas or whatever they put in. Like, in order to distribute something, you kind of need a platform, and these platforms kind of make you pay. Um, you know, like the, the rates for you to actually, you know, uh, you know, share your ideas or whatever, share your whatever you want to reach an audience because they aggregate to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that essentially made the people that are essentially building these these Web three things like very very angry, I guess. Um, so Web three essentially you want to you know decentralize the ownership or, or decentralize the aggregation of Web 2, right, which essentially built on the distribution of Web 1, right, fixing the property rights of Web 1, de um, dismantling the aggregation of, of, of power on Web 2, and then, you know, you get to this essentially place of Web 3. But how does it essentially function is that people now have to pay to get into, um, you know, these these elements of, you know, to partake in a community, right? and. Um, that that essential payment essentially allows you to to share between the creator and the and the and the, and the person that is actually paying, right? So it's like a you know like as Dali said, tokenizing communities. Uh, so in order to actually decentralize aggregation, so everybody can benefit from this 
web that has been created. It kind of seems like mm. everyone is behind the idea of this. Um, obviously, some people just thinking that it's like a ridiculous scam or something like that. <laughs> I saw someone talking about oh, the war of NFTs and gamers, between NFT creators and gamers, and like mm. what that might look like. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like, gamers don't, like, okay, companies that make games don't want this thing of being like tokenized as an asset, right? Because it goes counter to what they're trying to build, right? It's like, you're trying to build a free uh, economy, you're trying to build a business, right? You're trying to monetize this business, but on the other side, it's like, hey, you guys are monetizing our time, right? Like, we need a gain a share of all of this because we're also creating this uh, ecosystem or economy with you. Like, for, for example, Fortnite, like, everybody, you know, playing Fortnite is essentially engaging with each other. They, you know, building an economy. Uh, so that makes Fortnite more valuable because they've, they've, they've uh, received attention from everybody. And now the people feel like we should also be uh, benefiting from this, right, from the revenues that you guys make. Um, so, so that's, I think where the, that's where the debacle, uh, between, um, gamers and people that are building in this with three trying to tokenize these gaming assets to, uh, are having. Yeah. And on the other side of that, obviously is like NFTs, which Dali, you are now, I don't know, what, you, what <laughs> well, do you what call What is yourself? an NFT? Right? Yes, let's start, NFT. that's the hard yeah. stop there, which is like, what is an NFT? <laughs> to keep it in very simple terms. Stop, sorry. I need to check my cameras oh. <laughs> <laughs> to see that they're actually recording. Well, yeah. do they fall off? No, they don't fall off. Just need to make sure that things are actually recording before we actually so have a situation. Odd. So, odd. Yes. Yeah, cool. so yeah. I just have to edit this. Yeah, where all of a sudden it's like you're recording and then you find out that nothing's been recording. Exactly. Nothing was the same. Do all creators have OCD? Like, I think when you, I, I think when you've lost recordings, I think you probably you want to just double check. And the thing is that everybody thinks creators are just these free willing people, yeah. but you know, like, the attention to detail, like, is my camera set up right? You called me discount market. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Okay, <laughs> Dali, you can pick it up exactly where. So yeah, I said, NFTs. what is an NFT? Please yeah. go to. So an NFT, uh, the term stands for non fungible token. Uh, with crypto, uh, typically there's the use of fungible tokens. To keep it very simple, it's like if you've got uh, rands, uh, they can be exchanged because they carry the same value. So I've got five rand, I give it to you, you can necessarily um, give me a good per se for that value. Or for instance, even if you give me change, I give you 10 rand, you can give me two five rands. It's still necessarily divisible to the fact that you can actually still attain some sort of value um, for what you're actually giving. Uh, non-fungible is different because just because I have an art piece and I think that's where I'm just going to try and get to, it can't be compared to a car. How do you actually attain that value? So you use fungible tokens to try and accrue that value between the two, but uh, non-fungible would just mean that this is actually unique. When it comes to crypto, to give in very simple terms, it's just a digital signature. It's a digital signature that actually has... Um, extra information added to it, right? So, um, odd pieces, and I think that will probably be the biggest thing, is that it's a non-fungible token, so you've got a token that is actually now put onto the blockchain. I'm not too sure if we want to get into all that details, but it's just on a computer. Uh, sure, a rec- we'll yeah, the yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they don't...
banner tree file system, meaning that even the files which are hosted um, on the blockchain are also decentralized. So even if, for instance, um, for whatever reason, uh, 10 years from now, there'll still be a record of it. But yeah, that's I think the simplest explanation. Um, the, as in the the one explanation you I probably give it a shot. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay, no, okay, okay, okay. Let, okay, let, okay, let, let me just okay. So, so so think of like for instance your car, right? There's a native certificate, right? The native certificate. What does it actually show? That you are probably the owner of the car. Yeah. Uh, a variety of details, but uh, you having that piece of paper proves that you are the actual the actual owner of the car. So the same thing with the NFT just proves that you're the owner of the art piece. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the copyright and all this other stuff, it's the same thing with the car. Just because you own the car doesn't mean that, for instance, you can just make another duplicate of the car. Right? Mm -hmm. You still necessarily need to talk to, let's just say, BMW or whatever to actually be like, hey, can I actually just make... Uh, How many NFTs do you have, Danny? Uh, I think it's probably like over 600. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. It's 600, but yeah, it's from a variety of people. Yeah. So, I go on, like, what's the simplest version of this, right? How do yeah. I get to buying an NFT? Do uh, I buy... Yeah. Uh, Ethereum on Luna or whatever, put it onto yeah. Rainbow. What, what's the like simplest flow? How do I buy an uh, NFT? Yeah, I wish it was actually a simpler flow, especially, <laughs> with, especially with the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank does yeah. it sturdy. But um, to keep it in simple terms, you use uh, the most popular uh, platform for NFTs is based on the Ethereum blockchain, right? And you use a currency called Ether. So think of Ether like rands, right? So, um, like with the USD, I think the USD is a global currency, but um, in simple terms is that when you go to America, you're not going to pay in rands, right? Mm. You pay in a USD. So, when you're in South Africa, same thing. You pay in rands, right? And with NFTs on Ethereum, you pay in Ether. So, you use a native internet currency called Ether. And... Now I'm just trying to see what would be the simplest thing. <laughs> firstly, where do I put my money? Firstly, first. firstly, you need to put your money um, in South Africa, unfortunately, so into an exchange. So you put your rands into an exchange, um, a crypto exchange, where you exchange your rands for a cryptocurrency. And okay. that cryptocurrency would be Ether. So recommendations, this is not an endorsement. There's obviously it's Luna. It's not financial advice. It's Luna and Valor as well. Disclaimer. <laughs> I've never yeah. So yeah. And once you've gotten the Ether, right, you need to necessarily transfer this Ether into your crypto wallet. And your crypto wallet, um, there are a variety of them. I would obviously say Rainbow. Um, dot me as in you can go there they've actually you've got an android wallet right now would be your crypto wallet you transfer your ether onto your crypto wallet and then you connect it to um yeah an nft marketplace so there are a variety of marketplaces so think of take lot that, that's marketplace for physical goods OpenSea would be a marketplace for nfts you go there you link it you search for an nft sometimes on the first page you might be able to find whatever you want Similar to take lot, you need to know what the heck you're looking for. Because mm. as far as it goes, there's just a whole lot of things. They've got a whole lot of categories, but you also need to figure out what you want. And once you've made the purchase, that gets transferred onto your um, your wallet. In this scenario, Rainbow. And yeah, now you've got your NFT. But um, the the unfortunate part, and maybe uh, Upsa would be able to probably make it easier to uh, remedy, but 
it just feels like a whole lot of mental and technical jujitsu to get people to actually even try and get into the NFT <laughs> you, space. You, you, you kind of need to understand where, where, again, where it actually starts. How do you actually get to these platforms? It's, it differs country by country, region by region, right? It's like, it's, um, it's, it's not easy to get um, ether into what this, what Dali describes as a non non custodial wallet. And what is non custodial compared wallet to custodial? That is, like, imagine if your own your own bank. Essentially, a non custodial wallet makes you your own bank, so you are in charge of your own money, right? Um, exchanges have custodial wallets where, essentially, they keep that money for you. Um, safe right but you, you don't essentially own that wallet right um so the, there's barriers to actually moving uh jumping into you know to get to the marketplace you kind of need to jump a variety of steps right it's like i need to go to an exchange from that exchange i need a non-custodial wallet I need to move money from the, that exchange to my non-custodial wallet I need to connect to this marketplace then i need to buy then it comes back you know and That's oh, insane. and then Everything in between, there's a transaction fee for you. Actually doing it, right? <laughs> so it, it it can cost a lot of money, right? So it's you know it's it's not necessarily advisable if you're not willing to lose all of the money just to try it out. Right? There's no financial advice on this part. No, 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 no. So when so, you you know like yeah. my first sort of experience of crypto was you obviously, Dali, like. Mm. One Christmas day, just sending, you know, sending Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, yeah. and me like a little bit of Bitcoin. And at that time, I was just like, this is crazy. Uh, you know, I didn't understand it. I, mm. I wasn't like deeply invested in trying to. Mm. And like from that time to now, I'm like, oh shit, no, the, the whole world now is like, hey guys, so like, <laughs> what's happening with these, you know? Yeah. Do you look at crypto as just being... I feel like there's there's two parts of it, right? So there's mm. a part of this where it becomes a really great solution for trying to move money or pay people for the work that they do mm. in country in in continents like Africa, for example, right? yeah. so where people can actually be paid in ether, where mm. maybe their um, currencies are extremely volatile, or like yeah. you know there's a, a problem, or like it's very challenging to get money to them in in that sort of traditional form. Mm. And then on the other side, it can also just be like a way to pay creators very fairly for the work that they're making through NFTs mm. and stuff like mm. that. What do you think is the most, the biggest impact that it will have? Which side of those two things? And also, is there something else that people might be missing about what this is and like what it becomes? I think probably to address both uh, inquiries is that it's permissionless. Literally, you don't have to ask for permission to actually move money from one side of the world to the other side of the world. Right, so uh, when we talk of NFTs, uh, quite a lot of the creators uh, in the continent actually reside in Nigeria and East Africa, right? Uh, East Africa is not a country, but this is the region that I suppose there hasn't been as much activity compared to Nigeria. So if I see that there's a nice artwork that I, I like, right, I can just use my non-custodial wallet, like what Oops had actually mentioned, to purchase that artwork. I don't have to talk to the bank. I don't have to talk to a variety of other middlemen. I don't have to talk to like a, a an art gallery to actually get possession of that same NFT, right? So that's just been it where it just makes it so much easier. The, the thing with costs um, comes on a technical aspect that um, we're currently still running quite a lot of the activity on what is called level one. 
So level one would literally just be the base layer. Uh, I'm not going to get into technical aspects, but anybody who's technical and has actually done IT, most likely has heard of the OSI model. As in, the OSI model has seven layers. And the seventh layer is like the application layer, meaning that everything is literally a, a click of a button and things actually work. All the way to the bottom is uh, level one where you're dealing with MAC addresses. And I think most people don't even know what the heck a MAC address is, but it's a new, unique ID for every single um, device. After that, I think from layer one to layer two, that's when you deal with IP addresses. So like the 192.168.0.1, whatever it is. So that's where the issues come into the transfer values that most of the activity is still happening on layer one. But soon enough, um, like with anything in terms of technology, I think it's probably not the best analogy, but I was saying to the one person who was talking about the environmental concerns with NFTs and even Ethereum is that initially we're riding on horses, right? To move from one place to another. Obviously, depending on where you are in the world, you might have been using different types of transportation. But we're abusing these things. Are you talking about animals? No, I'm, talking, I'm actually talking about animals. I'm actually talking about animals. No, as in we used to use horses for quite some time. Then we. What else the, could you possibly use? Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm just saying. As these animals were being abused, were on their backs, were necessarily riding them. Now they're actually being used for leisure, right? In terms of equestrian. Then we had the combustible engine, right? That now, for instance, you could actually move around with um, this combustible engine to actually move from A to B. Now, of course, things have actually moved to the point where we actually now are looking at electric vehicles, where things started off quite dirty, and now things are actually getting quite clean. So even with um, uh, the blockchain and crypto, is that it did start off quite dirty, and for a variety of reasons. As in, I think the OG is uh, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and that also has its own history as to how it actually came to its formation, right? But things are now necessarily being made in such a way that things actually do improve. Because even with Bitcoin, I can't mention the Lightning Network, where it's also very cheap to actually move cash from A to B. That's what actually is El Salvador, right? Yeah. Yeah. El Salvador has actually made Bitcoin legal tender, meaning that you're not going to pay any extra charges if it's legal tender. I send you some Bitcoin, you send me some Bitcoin. It'll this is the country with that rock star. Like, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is that it actually just makes it so much easier to actually um, exchange value. And I think the one thing that's lost to quite a lot of people when it comes to crypto is like, oh, yeah, it's being used by bad actors. I'm like, unless you're using Monero, um, I'm not giving any financial advice, but Monero, the privacy-based um, um, blockchain, but for all the other blockchains, you can see where the money is coming from, where the money is going. It's not that hard, as in you're not hiding anything. If, for instance, I were to be like, hey, Mash, can you give me 10,000? Don't EFT it to me. Go to an ATM, withdraw 10,000, put it in a bag, give it to me. Are you going to be able to trace where that money goes afterwards? After no. You no. So that's the thing. As in that's the thing that quite a lot of people are lost upon where this technology literally makes things transparent. You think of the government's... Why they want to crack down on this is because obviously, if everything was on the blockchain, we could see where the money is actually going. Yeah, but there's also, especially in this kind of Web3 space, that a lot of people don't actually care. Like, yeah, know, it's very true. Ordinary, very true. ordinary people who want to engage don't necessarily care how it's made, don't care if it's decentralized, don't care if it's what, what, what. But you, you kind of, you know, it's like, does it? Does it solve your problem? You know, it's like, you know, if you are not fanatic, you know, you may be curious about this, right? If you're a creator, can I make more money doing this, right? So those, like, the people that are engaging every day, like, are very interested in this. But, you know, for other people, like, 
they don't really care, right? So if you don't care, you're not going to invest time just trying to learn all this thing, right? But again, speaking on, you know, the, the permissionlessness of it is that it's kind of, it's just on a weird paradigm because each individual is not necessarily a sovereign individual. Like you live within state borders and those state borders have regulation around how a money moves, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, even within this uh Think because it's such an early stage, like a lot of uh, people, uh, you know, are, are trying to use it for the for the bad reason for bad reasons. But it's not necessarily a good thing to use for a bad reason because every transaction is actually traced, mm. you know. Um, but and and even within even within the application layers, um, like like buying NFTs, trading tokens, that you know you have these hacks that happen that like people lose money and then if you lose money you lose interest so it's still in the early stages like even though it's been around for like 12 years like you have to compare it to other things like how long has the car been around for over, yeah. over 100 years you know like how long has the internet been around over 30 years now um, so you know it, it's going to get better but it's going to be painful until it gets uh, better but the thing about all these things is that um it hasn't reached a critical mass that it can never go back, right? Mm. And with this... It, it can has, never go back to just not existing. Not existing. Mm. There's like, no way. It's, it's impossible. Like, yeah, a lot yeah. of companies have, 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 you know, invested in this. Like, they're going to see it through. So, it's like, you have to make a choice of, am I going to partake in this thing or am I going to be essentially uh, left, uh, left back, right? But the thing is that, how will the world, world look in, in future is that will we have parallel worlds where there's a lot of people who don't care about this like hey I interact with my bank I don't care about this and then there's a lot of people like hey I don't want to I don't want to go inside a bank imagine and, thinking that using a really amazing bank is now being like prehistoric you literally are rebelling by just using basic uh, banking now you have to be on crypto in some sense it, yeah. I, How I, long I do you know. think we get? It takes for us to get to that point where, like, every single person—well, not every single person, but mm. for the most part, someone is interacting with crypto in some way. Well, well n- not long because each uh, a, lo- a lot of governments are using uh, what's called a uh, is it US? Um, what are you talking about? Uh, government government back- centralized government back stable coins. What's, yeah. what's it called? Uh, yeah, I've forgotten the term for it. I forgot, yeah. like it's coming yeah. back stable coins. Like mm. China has a digital one. Mm. Um, so people will interact with it in some capacity, right? Even if they don't actually know that they interact. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, in the background. And then that's essentially the best the best place for an ordinary person to be is like, I'm, I'm gaining all these values and I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily have to go inside the plumbing to understand how it actually works. It just works on the front end. Yeah, CBDC. Um, CBDC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's, I don't know how long it gets there, but sooner rather than later that everybody will essentially interact with it um, somehow. Tally, so, you know, there's these really amazing com- like communities that are being built around NFTs and mm. the artists that are creating the arts, but also people that are actually getting into it as well. Mm. Like, what do you look at its true value being? Um, you being able to buy this art and it appreciating in value and being mm. an investment or more just to create or recognize people for creating the value that they create by paying creators? Mm, yeah, I wouldn't say either or. I'd probably say um, and. 
And mm. the, the first part is that uh, people buying or getting into the NFT space is that you firstly come for the money, not when you stay for the community. Because <laughs> quite a lot of guys are making a huge amount of coin, right? And I think uh, that's an incentive that maybe some people are shy about. But if guys are actually making cash, right, it necessarily alleviates the fact of actually now having to play on the fact that um, are you there because you just are trying to uh, cover the hole, uh, similar to people running 95s and one from another. Nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes it's like living... Um, is it's what a hand hand to mouth, right? Um, that every single day you can just imagine people who actually were to uh, either get fired or quit their job right now. How m much in terms of savings would they actually have to actually continue? So the things that uh, the first thing is that actually um, artists are actually now being paid, right? Um, there's this one um, artist called Latasha. She was talking about how I think she got like hundreds of uh, um, thousands of views or actually uh, streams on. Spotify and she only got paid I think close to like 400 and something dollars right she's now selling music videos for like 10 ETH and 10 ETH is around like 30,000 no no as in my numbers are actually incorrect right yes, yeah it should be 30,000 30, yeah 30,000 30, 30, USD 30,000 USD was Spotify was paying people like peanuts right and things that you know <laughs> and, it's okay. a very reductionist thing to say yeah. that because Spotify is not responsible for how the business, <laughs> the, the music business exists. <laughs> I think there's there's this massive, massive just like, okay, oh no, okay. fuck Spotify. But wait, okay. let's talk about so, how so, the so, music business okay. actually but, works, But, but the difference is that they're still working with the same no, labels. But, no, but all I'm just... Okay, what should okay, they do? Okay, no, okay, completely okay, rip off but, the music? <laughs> you can't. Okay, but all I'm just saying is that if you look at that example, you're earning 30000 just by setting one NFT whilst the streaming and, and that same 400 it's not like it's only just going to you it's going to a variety of people yeah, just, just, don't, yeah, don't yeah. Blame <laughs> I'm using Spotify as an example I presume it's the same thing for Tidal and also for Apple Music as in what I'm just saying is that uh, those are the aspects that actually come through Twitter I uh, very ironically so uh, when I got back onto Twitter as in I was in crypto Twitter and crypto Twitter is filled with a whole lot of trolls sorry to say <laughs> we know that but the thing is that when getting into the NFTs is that they're artists making wonderful work and everybody's like we're all gonna make it right as in everybody's just like happy chappy fine I understand that times are tough it's not like everybody's gonna be able to make out uh, a sellout in terms of their art right Yeah. but the reality is that quite a lot of people especially when you get into the communities are always just trying to help you out yeah. so I suppose considering that yeah. you're doing podcasting I, I, it just I, doesn't make any sense I to think, be solo yeah. in a sense yeah, I think yeah. now is that it's, it's becoming interesting because the people like the users that use these platforms and the people that are creating value for these users are not necessarily the builders anymore. It's not like your awkward developer in the basement just creating mm. something, right? It's some cool, culturally relevant person, artist, yeah. artist who's not mm. necessarily a developer who's making cool art and then somebody else buys it, right? It's like those people are on the same wavelength because they understand what they, you know, that's, you know... Uh, what's being bought right yeah mm. so this interesting thing creates a like a, a circle of communities that you still have your developers but you have the people that are creating unique experiences on top of these developer platforms and then you have the users that are interacting with it right so this essentially ecosystem creates uh communities and these communities are now called DAOs or whatever dali might get into that as well <laughs> um you know but it, it it creates a unique experience between all three facets of these uh 
uh, this ecosystem, right? Is that it creates a unique relationship. Now you have a, a direct relationship with the artist, no longer through some medium platform, right? Because uh, the added benefit of buying these arts is that you have a direct interaction with the uh, with the creator. That that essentially ups the value of whatever the the building, and then that essentially creates a you know semi sustainable ecosystem between mm-hmm. all three parties. But again, just going to your initial question is that each person has to come there for whatever use case they're going there, or else it doesn't necessarily make sense, right? Mm. Um, you know, there's another Chris Dixon saying that people go for the tools and they stay for the network, right? You know, you, you might, like for you, you might imagine buying um, uh, Photoshop, right? You, you know, you, you buy Photoshop for the tool itself that you use, but you, you might stay for the community of Slack users that are using uh, Photoshop, right? It becomes an interesting experience because now you're learning um, what other people are doing with this tool, right? So it becomes more valuable as more people coming in. Like you, you might you might bring somebody else into the into the network, which you know they gain value. They might bring some. <laughs> now I'm just describing a permit scheme, <laughs> but that but, is exactly what you just said. <laughs> but again, I bring five friends, and then those five friends bring five friends, not as and then those five friends bring another five yeah, exactly. friends. Exactly. What? Yeah, it, it does have permit dynamics. I would like. Dali is the artist um, in South Africa that you want to like give a shout out to because I do think that yeah. there's a not enough visibility or understanding of like what this is and what it could do for people. Yeah, are there artists that you think that people should be checking out so that they can see what like creators are doing this with this um, in our country? Okay, I'll have to just like um, hook my phone to actually get a full. It's, a, it's okay. You can do yeah. your do you guys have a WhatsApp group? No, there's actually a group chat. There's actually, a, a, funny enough, there's the group chats. Those for communities are closed. Yeah. Yo, so, so those no, communities hey, are hey, closed. Okay, so, so, so things are like, for instance, the sad thing with the guys uh, with Twitter, right, is that there's a 75 uh, member limit to a group chat. Oh, damn. So the thing is that the only yeah. way you can actually continue yeah. that is by actually I adding. Use a, but yeah. Twitter has communities now. That's the, the thing. Because the thing is that that's why even with spaces and the likes, um, people are actually on there. So, okay. So I think the most popular person that most people would actually know would be Letabo. Uh, Letabo Huma, um, who's actually made quite a lot of success within the NFT space. Uh, yeah, I've also got Molete as well. I'm mentioning names, but you'll probably have to just find them on Twitter as well. Uh, there's uh, Coco. Um, she has also made her own um, NFTs. She's actually even a Discord moderator as well. So anybody who doesn't know Discord, uh, clearly you're not into gaming and the likes. But think of Slack, but not for gamers. What, what about people who don't know Slack? Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, like no. Microsoft, oh, Teams. Microsoft Teams. Yeah, Microsoft Teams. For, Microsoft Teams. For, for the cool people. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Not yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah, so 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 um like moving yeah like okay Ben okay I'm I, okay, I'm also gonna move on to like Ben Abstract uh, Ben Abstract I've actually bought uh, one of his pieces um he has a cool style of actually drawing um, the artwork that he's actually got uh Polusho as well he actually does quite a lot of um 
black or African art style uh, NFTs as well. Yeah. And yeah, the 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 list is endless. Uh, there are a variety of people that I can probably just like shout out as well. But quite that's a, few a very it's yeah. a very short list for yeah the benefit it's created. For it's, it's li- I can literally read a list of sent by people if you want. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Is that because relative adoption of these other use cases of crypto that we don't necessarily have the correct infrastructure of bridges for people to actually engage. Like, mm. explaining how to get a non-custodial wallet is like a... Or buying an NFT is like a, an eight-step process. Like, you know, if you reduce that to like a three-step process, it, mm. you know, you probably get more people experimenting with these things. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, with, with South Africa, you know, a lot of... A lot of... Like, a lot of crypto products are essentially built to be default global, right? But being default global means essentially it's kind of restricted to the bigger market. You know, it's mm. like, you know, if if somebody builds a, a, a crypto project in the USA, is that it's restricted to USA, like to USA, uh, you know, citizens because mm. of essentially you have strong SEC controls in the USA regarding the, uh, things that you may you may sell and may may not sell, right? And the thing is that now because essentially cryptocurrency is a default global thing, but you kind of need to build local bridges for people to actually enter in, and that's like a space that um I'm currently interested in. Like there's a lot of there's a, a couple of interesting projects in South Africa that are essentially building these things for uh, the world, but there's not necessarily a lot of projects that are essentially building bridges. Uh, for South Africans to actually partake, right? It, like, there's no reason that we should not have a, a local non-custodial wallet, but you can't have strict KYC controls, right? Yeah. Baiting KYC controls, and then at the back end, you actually at the back end, you, you kind of build a, a bridge to a tax calculator, so people are, are not necessarily, um, you know, not necessarily get it, get themselves in trouble with uh, with SARS and, and and those things, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. As in just to add. The majority of people uh, probably need custodial wallets, as in maybe it might be a different view, but the amount of people who use the same password, you can just now imagine with a non-custodial wallet, you're provided with a seed phrase. Um, it's pretty much either 12 words, 18 words, or 24 words, yeah. right? Those words you have to keep in a very safe place. You can't necessarily yeah. share it with any Tom, Dick, and Harry, right? So the thing is that if you lose that, right, firstly is that if you lose it and you want to restore your wallet, you're cooked. If, for instance, someone has those same words and they restore your wallet, they have full access as to what exactly you need to do, yeah. right? And you're cooked. So the thing is that um, when it comes to custodial, it's a bit of a middle ground because the only thing is that we're literally getting back to the same normal banking system, right? Yeah. I forget my password. I can ask the bank to reset it. But there's but, uh, yeah. there's working tools around that, right? Mm. Uh, 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 Vita- Vitalik wrote, uh, the creator of Ethereum wrote yeah. a, a paper or like an essay around uh, social recovery recovery wallets. Pretty much like right? Argent and the likes. Yeah, like, mm. uh, like it's an non-custodial wallet, but you have a social recovery uh, mm. mechanism. What is social recovery? Essentially having uh, a list of people that if you forget your password, it can essentially help you recover your password. Let's say, Mash, you have a a, wa- an, uh, a wallet, right? It's your wallet. You control it, whatever, whatever. But you forget uh, the password of the wallet, right? You, you but you set me and Dali as your so your your, your social recovery team, right? Mm. Me and Dali don't necessarily. Let's say we 
those words are essentially split into two. Uh, I get half, Dali gets another half, mm. you know. So you want to essentially gain access to your wallet so that you can ask me uh, and then you can ask Dali and then we can confirm with the, we can confirm with the, the whatever, the, 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 the wallet itself to say, hey, yes, we have Mash's mm. keys, enter, enter, right? So what happens is that it creates essentially fail-safe but again, those don't bake into human dynamics, right? Me and Dali can get together and say, hey. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> or worse, nah, or worse, nah, or worse, like, you know, imagine I give half to my girlfriend and half to you. <laughs> and then you break, break up, up with girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is that it's all, like, for instance, most of the hacks, uh, quote-unquote hacks, are social engineering. As in the code has not necessarily done anything wrong. Is this more of a case of, uh, if you've heard the story of one woman pretends to be this guy's wife, has a crying baby in the background, says, oh, my husband's not around. Can you actually provide me access to his bank account or whatever? And then the bank is like, oh, well, sympathy, woman crying with baby. Let me just give full access to the account without actually verifying those uh, facts, right? Because I think sometimes you, you see it when a bouncer is like, hey, no, nah, I'm not going to allow you in, right? I think it happened where we went to Rockets, right? And you were wearing shorts. Okay. Yeah. And, and the guy was like, no, I'm not, not going to allow you in. But then this guy sees a woman. Um, she's wearing like a tight shorts, right? And he's like, oh, no, she she goes in, right? I'm not going down that road. <laughs> no, 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 I want to yeah. move away from mm. crypto now. Yeah, cool. it's very. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's go back to the real yeah. world. Mm. Are you comfortable with saying what percentage of your wealth is held in crypto versus stocks versus whatever yeah. else? Uh, eight, no. I don't know actually. Yeah. Okay, I know, I know, but but, but yeah. how much of how much is crypto in that pie? I don't. I don't know actually. I don't. I'm not a stock mm. person. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I saw you posting yeah. the other day. You know, like, I'm not a. I don't own a hedge fund. I'm not gonna have a watch. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, like uh, I can be a stock person if I need to be, but I'm not necessarily. I'm, I was on the other side, but you know, it's like mm. you don't know how these things actually work. Anyway, it's like screw it. Um, you know, you rather. I don't know. I'm. I also don't necessarily believe in like saving for retirement but that's my own thing like I, I, I believe I'm going to probably die on a desk <laughs> so, so I don't necessarily I don't necessarily you know want to put my money in like mutual funds for like the next 40 years or something like I, I, mm. I think I, I can I, not necessarily I, can I feel like the, there's a very different culture between like our parents generation us mm. and the generations to come I don't think the generations to come will buy stocks well, it's, it's, it's again, like, our generation are not necessarily tied to one job. Like, like yeah. the, the idea of a pension fund is that you work for a company for 40 years, you climb up the corporate ladder, and then mm. you retire at 65. Mm. Completely different for the rest of their life. Yeah. Right? Um, but 
again, it's, it's, it's there's nuances to all these things. A lot of people might believe it, but it, it depends on what you actually believe with your mm. life. I'll, I'll believe I'll die in a desk <laughs> <laughs> in front of a computer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all I just wanted to say is that I, I know what my, my, my portfolio looks like, but I think if anything, guys, you know, as in, I think that's old saying, if you know, you know, similar to Robin Hood snacks, if you know, you know, as in I'm on Twitter, if you know, you know, you will actually know as to how much my allocation is. Is it crazy? <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably 95%, 5%. <laughs> like 5% stocks. 5% stocks, 95%. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but that's what I'm just saying. It's like, yeah. if you know, you know. How do you, how do you, yeah. how did you build an appetite for investing? Because I don't think oh, this is something that okay. people like. So, okay. Genuinely, so, you know, it's not something that comes up. Um, that's why you're okay. so on, financial advisor. On, <laughs> okay, so on my side, how things actually worked out, right, was that I, I hadn't necessarily had much of an interest in like stocks and, and, and such. It was when I was in university, one friend of mine who was actually really keen on, who's this guy, Warren Buffett, right? And the intelligent investor and all this other stuff. So we actually put a, a challenge. Um, we had a virtual game. I think it was called Stock Wars. Um, allocation of around 100,000 uh, USDA. So I think this was around like 2011, 2012. I had Wall Street, uh, yeah. Wall Street something. Yeah, so so quite a lot of these uh, apps where you could actually just play for uh, free. I bought uh, fake Netflix in yeah. 2013. I think I made 400,000. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but it was, okay, so it was literally just that. Um, I was in a bit of an awkward situation because I'd been in... Malaysia and then I was also um, still a South African citizen right so I wasn't really too sure as in how I could actually structure things so even like with crypto and the likes is that if I knew then what I know now yeah things would have actually been a bit you would have moved to Singapore uh, yeah maybe maybe <laughs> that, that could have actually worked but the thing is that um, 2017 that's when I came back into the country um, earlier that, uh, than that I had actually had like an F&B account uh, put a bit of money to, to stocks and the likes but those guys charge an arm and a leg sorry to say but the thing is that I ended up actually um, getting into like um, standard bank web trader, putting in a bit of cash there um, for crypto. It's always just been um, for the longest period of time now has been dollar cost averaging or rank cost averaging, meaning that you just put the same amount every single month, regardless of the market conditions. Some people only just do that when things are actually going quite well. But when things are bad, that's when all of a sudden they stop their DCA or mm -hmm. RCA. So from there, it was just a case of, hey, seeing as to how the markets work, as in what is the reason why one company would move uh, from one position to another, right? Um, I know that it might sound like gambling, but um, this is what's 2020... Just the disclaimer yeah. again. Yeah, there disclaimer. No this is not financial advice. advice. But, but remember, uh, this was, it was 20... Yeah, it was 2020, right? 2020, end of 2020. I bought into AMC, right? Oh, yes, <laughs> I remember that. It was August. I remember it was August. AMC was closing down. And like, Dali was like, Amazon's going to buy it. <laughs> so AMC is this, uh, it's like still, you know, cool for... Yeah. But globally. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's like a... Uh, movie theater kind yeah of thing. so i remember december it, it crashed all the way to two and i was like deciding on the same thing buy low sell high so bought it at two dollars per share it shot um i think to one point at sixty dollars per share i had my entry exit point at twenty dollars per share right but there was always this like curiosity to say is like how can i actually just make more money from the money that i actually do have right 
And I think, especially when you've got friends and you can actually uh, compete, uh, you somewhat also just learn from each other's strategy. So that's why I think even with crypto, the nice thing is that you can actually pocket watch. And so no. what's your strategy, though? Oh, uh, I, I'm just having fun. If people actually saw the, yeah. the moves that I actually take, it's like if anybody were to copy my trades, they'll be like, yeah, you're, you're going to go broke if you don't know what the heck you're, you're doing. So most of the times when I actually buy any NFTs, right, that's the latest speculative um, asset has literally been stuff that I like. And then all of a sudden, surprise, surprise, five months down the line, things are actually selling for 10x. We're in the crypto winter now, so everything is just down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's actually smart in it. Yeah, no, so, but, yeah. but that's primarily how I actually got into the space. But yeah, with NFTs, it's primarily, I think maybe um, the one thing I would just want to add, especially with NFTs and people might not believe it, is that if you are into memes, meme culture, you could make a killing in NFTs because that's literally what it's actually run on. Danny, what about people just on Facebook and what Facebook has memes? What that's I guess the thing, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's just a whole lot of meme culture that comes into some of these same investments and the likes. What's, um, Mesh, what's your relationship yeah. with money? Mm. Uh, abusive? <laughs> <laughs> the heck? <laughs> that's the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I'm still like, you know, the way you guys explain like Web3, Web1, Web, mm. you know, Web2, whatever. I'm at a very, like, survivalist mode of how I use money. I like to, if I get money in, mm. I like to see it go out and do something. I don't so, like, if it's just sitting there, why are you there? <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> and I'm trying to grow out of it, obviously. Mm. Like, um, a lot of the, every a lot of what I earn goes back to, into my business, which I think, like, I need to now make a final call. Like, is this working or not? <laughs> Well, well, let's be yeah. honest. Be okay with it. Yeah. Like, kill it if it's not working. Look, if we if we were being very practical, mm. I should have killed this a long time. No, <laughs> no. Like, you, you kind of need to survive until you're on the edge, and then. It, it's, Do you know you once said something that that's the thing that's always been in my mind, well, yeah. which is like. Startups are not alive and then they die. Well, it's a poor They are actually yeah. dead before they are alive. It's a quote by uh, Paul Graham, uh, founder of YC. He says, um, like, most startups are default dead until they default alive. Meaning that, you know, regardless of how you're running your business, if you raise money from mm. investors, that you're essentially dead because if that money goes away, your business is not essentially sustainable. Um, but yeah, I was like, there's another thing that I said to you is that, you know, the worst pos- position that you can ever be is not in control of your life. But the, the, again, that's the thing is that you should be in control of the decisions that you make. Like mm-hmm. whatever decision that you make around the space, you like you, you probably in control of it. Like, is this the good decision for me to be making at the right, at this point in time? And yeah. then if you arrive to a decision, like that's the best decision you you made, right? It's not something that's taken away from you by somebody else. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you built this, you put in this equipment, you put in the time, you know, you put in the effort to actually do it on a consistent basis is that um, it, it becomes a question of that it's not necessarily of is this thing going to work out? It's a question of when is this thing going to work out? And, then yeah, you and, need and that's, <laughs> the, that's the other relationship with this, with like any type of business that I think people don't have a conversation about is like you actually can be successful if you have enough time to fail. Yeah, and, and that's the only thing that's... No, the only thing about how businesses actually like succeed is is by not essentially dying. 
Like, if yeah. you don't die, you get to bat as many times as you want on the crease. So you, you, somebody doesn't strike you out, you get to bat again and again and again and, until something happens. Until you it's just, I'm, I'm very sure that it's better to bat with other people's money. <laughs> well, that comes, well, that comes with added pressure of it kind of cuts your time to actually bat down. Yeah. Like, you, mm. you only have a certain amount of time to actually make it work. Um uh, you know, given that you're using other people's money, but if you're using your money, you like you can bat as long as as long as you you, you can, because you know essentially you can control. You own the bat, like you know, like as long as the ball's coming, I own the bat. It's not borrowed capital that I need to pay it back. Um, you know, it's like, but but again, it's like you kind of need to find a way. Yeah. And I've got this thing about companies, especially in South Africa, and I, I look at companies that, you know, business models actually matter. Like, a lot of you... <laughs> of course, business models matter. <laughs> but the thing is that a lot of, especially in my world, like like venture, like capital, I'm not necessarily in venture capital, but I, I see the other side of it, is that a lot of, like, these companies that are, are created now is like, you kind of don't necessarily see how this business model is scalable. Like, they see that if I sell you um, this API and if you ping it a million times, you have to pay me this, uh, you know, certain amount of money. But that's not how essentially business is conducted on the other, uh, the other side. Like, if you're selling to an enterprise, like, you will probably structure a deal over a set period of time where I pay you a certain amount of money. I don't want to, you know, fluctuate usage or whatever. Right? And then, But there's different kinds of, you know, these business models that a lot of people don't actually understand, right? It's like, you know, if, you, if you're running a tuck shop that sells burgers, that, you know, you, you're limited by the amount of burgers that you sell. But you know that if you can sell a burger, you make money. It's a one-to-one transaction. And, but, and then the thing is that, you know, it's like, how do you actually make, uh, you know, businesses work is that you kind of need to identify the correct business model for the, 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 the company, right? For the product that you're selling. Uh, I call it business model market fit, whatever. It was mo- revenue business model fit. Like I, I saw um, Clubhouse because the reason Clubhouse is not necessary. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna work, but it it it, it would had a it would have a higher chance of succeeding if we had a different business model. If it was ads based, but the mm. thing is, people don't want ads sold to them on these platforms. But the the thing is, the, the best business model for a social media company is actually ads, right? Because you don't charge the users. Now, if you if you include a payment gateway where it's a tipping tipping is not necessary business model. It's like a philanthropy thing. It's like a you know it's a charity thing. You don't build a business doing tipping, right? Uh, it's not. I've never seen a you know a payments company with a hundred hundred a uh, hundred uh, million dollars in revenue but Google uh, you know Apple and Facebook are essentially you know th- those business models are highly scalable like you know uh, YouTube now has makes more money than Netflix Netflix charges the customer directly uh, but a- again you have to kind of find what I'm trying to say is that there's a correct business model for the the, the, the business that you're building and then you kind of need to care about the business model of you know of what you build, it's like, okay, well, let's figure out what the business model is for the studio, which is one is essentially sustainable, you know. Uh, but you can have these adjacent business models to the studio, like selling T-shirts and selling. You, this guy is apparel. Yeah, never give up on apparel and merch. <laughs> merch is like <laughs> it makes sense. Like, you know, Daddy, like yeah. you, you. And I don't know, you just never speak about it anymore. You have a very traditional business on the side, obviously, like, very e-commerce based, but Mm. it's selling goods and, like, 
clear products that people want to buy. Obviously, yeah. super high value. Mm. But how do you assess where things are with that type of business model? And like, um, what do you think the future of that is now? Especially when you consider the accelerated pace at which VR is now growing versus, mm. say, before where maybe you were just selling to a very small number of people yeah. that market is going to grow Dali speak about the supply chain issues <laughs> yeah no, uh, okay I, I think overall with the business how things have actually changed uh, maybe just describe the business first oh, what should I describe the business yes oh okay I can keep it very simple as an import export business that's literally it as in we sell AR and VR hardware um, people might be wondering what AR and VR would be so augmented reality so think of like snapchat facebook um or even instagram where you've got those filters using your phone but uh, now using something that goes onto your face uh, and then virtual reality is the same thing goes onto your face but you're immersed in a, a different environment so yeah with that one is that i think it's it's not to say that um it wouldn't last uh, a long time the only issue that i think i'll probably even put out there for anybody is that if you're going to be selling a good try and see if you can get some sort of exclusive rights to distribute it, right? Also, for instance, you're not building any sort of moats. You necessarily are on the verge of someone actually just um, eating your lunch. Please hold on. Yeah. What is a moat? God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a goat. Just, just think of like a, a castle. and I think It's a if, competitive advantage. A competitive right? advantage. So usually a moat, if you just think it um, in your mind, it, it would usually be like a castle. There's like a, a nice river around that castle. And the moat is there to avoid people from actually attacking or getting into the castle. So the thing is that, like what Upsa was talking about, it's a competitive adv advantage or something that at least um, gets you to stay the long term. Um, is it possible to build a moat in e-commerce without the exclusivity deals? Uh, you you can, but that's why, for instance, you look at people like Shopify, right? Uh, they're arming the rebels. So for mm. them is that they're not really concerned about uh, the user data. And that's why, for instance, they allow anybody who sells um, using Shopify to keep that data but they charge a monthly subscription they take a certain percentage they even have fulfillment centers so there are a variety of ways that people can actually make cash but if you're talking about e-commerce like me selling goods is that you really have to be very intentional and also seeing as to how far things can actually go you think of like even apple they started off with computers but now their biggest uh, product line is actually iphones right not I heard that ipods made like airpods yeah. made um yeah, but even then, you could see, they're smart. They they made um, a, a segment for themselves because you have so to realize crazy. they didn't have to remove the headphone jack. I remember everybody was criticizing them for removing the headphone jack. And then, surprise, surprise, everybody decides to remove the headphone jack. Okay. And surprise, surprise, you remember LG? LG used to make phones. They were the last company that actually had headphone jacks. And, <laughs> they, and, and, and they had to shut down their, their cell phone business. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so it's only like, for instance, Samsung, no headphone jack. They sell it to um, no... Uh, was it's power brick to actually charge your phone you have to buy that separately and everything but the thing is that it's just having to evolve uh with what i'm doing right now is to say that we were trying to look into other uh segments in terms of um it but presumably from what i can actually see is that we'll most likely be going more t uh, towards b2b rather than b2c b2c you can compete with uh customers are finicky as in, they're, they're indecisive. You don't necessarily know what they might like, what they might uh, not like, because it has actually happened where we had one camera. Uh, that year, nobody bought it. The second year, there was a new version of it. 
everybody was buying it. Mm. And we're not too sure. It might t- turn out to be like a Windows situation where Windows 98, good. Windows 2000, bad. XP, good. Vista, bad. XP was the last one I experienced. <laughs> And yeah, then, I'm, a, I'm a Mac guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I found Mac. And yeah. Never look back. Yeah, like, so, so, so that's literally it. As in, just to give you some that you just have to adapt. Uh, um, when Oops, I brought up the supply chain issues. Yeah, I saw that stuff happening in 2019. End of 2019, we're distributing hardware, and unfortunately, so the biggest um, manufacturer of electronics is China. Uh, be it that they manufacture, assemble, or even um, turn things from raw materials into whatever components which are required. 2020 was rough. We're trying to just at least survive, even though I'd hired like seven people at the time. Uh, And then 2021, at least things have actually gone somewhat back to normal. But I can see that supply chain issues are going to occur, considering that these guys are actually off. I think they're back to work on Monday, but just that one week where guys are not working in the factories, you can just imagine the backlog that's just going to be produced. Mm. Yeah. 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 Just to answer your question, like I I saw this from uh, another podcast. Um, It's like, and it's like Hamilton Helm is seven powers, right? So a business has essentially a moat. Uh, a business can have certain moats, right? You know, a moat is determined by the powers that the business has. Like the number one is scale economies. You think about, you think about Amazon, right? They have scale economies. You think about then the second one is network economies. Like think about Facebook. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people have that. Then you have counter positioning. Uh, you think about uh, I think counter positioning is like payments companies like Stripe is mm-hmm. a counter positioning uh, model and then the switching costs Apple because of mm-hmm. the ecosystem has switching costs it's so hard to move off um, the, SAP and yeah. the likes yeah. and then you have branding power you think of uh, Coca-Cola Coca-Cola yeah. as a branding power and then a cornered resource or a specific resource that only you have mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Tesla might have a cornered resource in, in, in such a way that yeah. have, you know, multiple uh, charging stations or whatever. Mm. And then process power, like, can you do something different than anybody else can do it, right? Mm. Um, so those are essentially the, the modes the company has, um, you, know, you know, to choose from and actually to make, a, you know, like a very sustainable competitive advantage. Mm. But I think for e- e-commerce is that if you're tiny, you'll probably lean into more brand because you don't have scale economies, e-commerce companies don't have network economies. Uh, kind of, your D2Cs. Yeah, those, yeah, you know, the high switching cost because of substitutes. But, yeah, again, it's like, you know, there's, there are modes. You kind of need to find what mode works for your business. Yeah. No, but that's the thing. As in, remember, with Apple, I'm not too sure if you know the story, but when it came to the iPod, they bought all the tiny hard drives for the first generation <laughs> iPod. So nobody could actually compete with them because they literally just took anything that was actually available on the market. So it's more like a delay tactic, right? Yeah. So that's why you remember even with the AirPods. Uh, prior to the AirPods, did anybody have like the two-piece um I'm AirPods? sure someone did. Most likely, but on, 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 <laughs> on, sure on, on scale, did. they didn't. As in literally, these guys created a problem and often sold people a solution. <laughs> So, yeah, as in it comes with a different way of actually how things uh, play out. But I think, again, one always has to think like business um, in terms of problem solving. Like what happened with Edcon? You guys even bought Jet. 
So, yeah, as in. <laughs> <laughs> so, can't speak Hawaiian. Yeah. But the reality is that if you're thinking like a business, uh, remember, like, when COVID hit and there was lockdowns, how many companies just like shut down? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, yeah. like if you're building, because like, this is a problem that I currently think about on a day to day basis, that if, you're bring, if you had to build, like a just a rudimentary a billion rand business in South Africa. How would you build it? Like which industry would you tackle? Which problem would you tackle? Uh, personally, because I read your uh, newsletter, <laughs> I would uh, build an insure tech, <laughs> <laughs> blockchain and crypto. <laughs> like, you know, like that's the thing, right? It's like South Africa is a small market relative to the world, but yeah. you can build a a billion rand business in South Africa. But what market do you actually tackle? And the thing is that you kind of go down the JC top 40, the top 40 biggest companies, the mm. top whatever to, you know, if you kick Naspers out and the mm. international companies, you kind of find that you have resources, you have, um, you have banks, you have, uh, you have retailers, you have uh, insurance companies, and then you have uh, telecommunications companies, right? And then that's it, right? There's no technology business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but you know, not your general technology business. What you you can consider a, a tech business that creates products, right? So like, and you know, it, it's kind of hard to actually, you know, crack it. But you know, just doing a billion rand business is that it's it's very difficult to actually do it you know, in, a, in a market like South Africa. But you kind of need to find these various uh, segments. Is there is there companies you feel like? that are startups now that have the sort of thinking and like um, have both the type of the type of modes that you're talking about as well that could get there uh, there are some I guess I don't know uh, from the top of my head that uh, I can name a few but there are some that are building like a like a cornered resource like uh, offers in as a cornered resource oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have the most developers in the platform and the business, right? So they have a super competitive moat in terms of staffing. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting business. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy that you started with office and not something in fintech, especially considering how disproportionate the funding for fintechs is versus everything else. Yeah, well, in the context of South Africa, you have to look at like where fintechs exist, right? The thing is, if from a even from a like a how money moves in South Africa, like from a, a national payment system point of view, you kind of have to go back to the bank, right? Mm. You know, you have to have a store of value. Mm. And banks are only allowed to are the only people allowed to have store of value. They are only people allowed to do settlements with the Reserve Bank, right? So it's kind of difficult. Like even even Time Bank, Time Bank is worth what one point I don't know, like one point eight billion or something. Even more, like, uh, like they just raised 100 million. I don't know what the valuation of Time Digital as a whole, but if you look at Time Bank um, as a segment of that, that you know they, you know, they have the majority. Like they, have built a very big business, but they came out of a corporate. Uh, but the thing is that you know fintech has large, you know, you have large potential because it's essentially money. Like the product is money, mm. um, you know. But you have to look at the landscape of which, like these companies existing in, in, in South Africa, right? Like, payments company can be a, a, a very big business in, in, in South Africa. I mean, Yoko is one. Um, uh, what's the other one? 
talks about strategy the most of the time but there's a, I have a unique appreciation for people that are actually executing on a daily basis that's that's hard work like if I did one thing told me if you told me to do one thing and do it well like I'll probably die because I, you know, I don't have a unique skill that I can do on a daily basis or I'll mm. be bored doing one particular thing on a daily basis but you know I kind of I kind of appreciation for like how companies are built like you know a deep appreciation for the staff like the people that actually do the work on a day-to-day basis like the people that are answering a phone from customers mm. on a day-to-day basis like that's a you know, that's a tough job like you know uh, doing operations like a very very tough job um, so i have a unique appreciation for Dali, <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you doing angel investing instead of i'm oh. not saying instead of but like it might mm. be interesting like is there something you've seen in the last two years that you're like, oh, if I did like mm. a seed round there. <laughs> uh, seed I don't know. As in maybe, maybe for now, as in, I'm just seeing better returns in NFTs. In, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more liquid uh, than uh, thing. Yeah, it's, it's not to say I wouldn't want to invest in, in these companies and the likes, but I'm like, if, for instance, just on a return basis, right, um, I don't have to deal with people. I look at pretty things and often I make a whole lot of money. That's literally it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm committing to do at least one angel investment this yeah. year. Like, uh, this year? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I want to do one. Uh, yeah. you know, open, open a van there. We'll contribute. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in a position to be taking other people's money. Oh, so, so you're uh, not going to be a GP and we can be the LPs? No, no. no. <laughs> I want to I put my own money first. Like, let, let me go yeah. sweat. Let me go sweat figuring out. No. But I, I'll, I'll try to be... I'll what try what to do, do you think are yeah. some of the things that are holding back like investment in, in South Africa with... You know, very early stage startups. It's like there's the thing uh, where I think you know when you look at South Africa as a market is that it's not necessarily there's no early stage investment like uh, there is, but mm. it's not necessarily very very polished. There's no there's no defined angel sector where you have you know equal opportunities at the angel round. You know, there's no dedicated seed funds or pre-seed mm. funds uh, the way now you're kind of seeing it in uh, other markets like Nigeria like you know how that ecosystem has evolved over the last five six years or so six seven years or so is that you have all these founders that have built capital within their businesses they've scaled these businesses mm. uh, however they've scaled it like and then they have some some liquidity in in they pockets and then they fund the the next uh, the next batch of uh, entrepreneurs. Has that not happened in South Africa? No, you, you, so South Africa is not a very good exit market. Like you know, mm. like you know, there's not a lot of deals where you see like, hey, this startup you know got built in so and so, and then it got acquired um, by this company. You know, mm. it's like there's no there's no relatively scale market where you can essentially create those opportunities for the next. Um, entrepreneurs, right? And I think Niger- Nigeria, as an example, find found like a very good wage in that um, uh, going to YC gives you essentially a bump in your valuation, so you can mm. negotiate terms at at a better rate. Uh, in South Africa, there's no there's no such thing. I saw I saw a seed round, a pre seed pre seed round, 
um, this this week where Entrepreneur gave a large portion of uh, can't say equity, but like the the guys now essentially as a as individuals are essentially minority owners of the business, right? Mm. Um, you know, and that's a on a pre-seed scale. Um, so it's it's very hard. There's no defined ways of hey, let me just give you this money for you to figure out. Like let's mm. let's let me let's sign a safe, right? And then you will figure out. Like let's not price these rounds and pre-seed. Like we don't need to get lawyers involved. Mm. You know, it's like hey, I want. Fifty uh, percent of the business upfront, like that, that's not a, a good way to incentivize entrepreneurs to build very enduring companies. You kind of need more people to uh, place bets earlier on at a at an angel level. Um, you know, mostly before they can do mm. these big rounds. But but it yep. seems like quite a lot of the guys here. I don't know. As in, for me, it's similar to the NFT side of things, right? Uh, be it that you sell physical prints of your NFTs and the likes, I really don't care. But in terms of ownership, I've seen it several times where I'm hearing deals where people are taking 50 plus percent and I'm like, what? <laughs> and this is just at the beginning of the person running their business. Mm. I'm like, I would prefer to take a small minority, give you a bit of cash, get yourself sorted and then slowly but surely um, find uh, chipping away at your ownership. So at least, for instance, I suppose more people can actually join the table. But when you lose control of your, your company, I think that's where you also have people just dictating. And sometimes it's not to say that you might not be wrong but sometimes people just don't see the same sort of vision that you have sometimes they're actually expecting things to actually run smoothly you can just imagine if it was COVID, right you're giving a majority of your company away and then the people who are actually the majority shareholders are like nah this thing yeah, is just not there's, a, there's a misalignment of incentives especially mm. at the early stage so yeah so who you know like if that's not happening you know that and you'd sort of credit that same system where Founders build great businesses, they get exits, and then they fund, you know, they put whatever back mm. into the ecosystem to build the ecosystem. Yeah. Mm. Those people become the people that build the next generation of like incubators, accelerators, mm. funds, and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if that's not happening in South Africa, right, at the pace at which it's happening in Nigeria, what do you think is the thing that's actually going to be able to catalyze like a new generation of founders, you know, build the ecosystem again. Because mm. I do think, like, there's parts it's, of the ecosystem that don't exist It's exits, now. right? It's like exit. Like, if you are able to sell your business uh, and you're able to get some sort of liquidity, you have this chip on your shoulder to, one, I want to try again because I didn't create something that was big enough. Mm. Two, I want to help somebody else not to get the raw deal that I got, right? Mm. And what you're kind of going to see now is that as, as these businesses scale... And I think you're seeing that with, the, with Yoko. I'm, I'm, I'm very much competing with Deal, the guy called Yusuf. I don't know who he is. What the heck is this all about? That you kind of, kind of these these smaller, small, smaller startups where, mm. where you kind of, you know, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a big business, but mm. you know, the team is a high quality team where you can acquire. You do what these these what's called an acquire, right? Mm by the, the the team for the talent uh let
exit at a at a bigger scale where early employees can get um, liquidity, right? Once you have that liquidity that you mm-hmm. receive from this business, one you get some sort of financial, uh, you know, like some sort of financial. Uh, base layer that you can build upon, right? Because now you're no longer thinking about, hey, where's my next meal going to come from? Mm. You're like, hey, cool. I've made at least four or five million from this business. I can take two, three, uh, whatever, right? And they go try something else where, I, you know, I still have some, you know, amount that I can live for another couple of years if this thing doesn't work out. So you have mm. at least now a three-year run runway to actually try something else, right? And mm. if it doesn't work, you, you're a talented p- person that you've tried, you've worked on something, you've, you've built this thing, you can go and uh, do something else. Mm. So it's going to happen, but it's going to take time. How long do you think it's going to be until we see like something like a, a very, you know, I, I don't like it when people sort of plug and play solutions from, you know, Silicon Valley or whatever else. But yeah. You look at what the impact that, say, Y Combinator has had on like global ecosystem, not even just like American, mm. right? Yeah. How long do you see, because we love copying, we don't mind, right? <laughs> how long will it be until someone figures out how to be able to identify, you know, the startups that can really work at that level, um, yeah. fund them earlier as, as they do? Yeah. Sure, they've got some very interesting terms now. They've updated that, like with the... Yeah, but it's more money, right? Yeah, yeah, it's more money as well. It's more money than what you receive in South Africa. Mm. Um, it's... it's the, the, the interesting thing is that how it happened in Nigeria was that um, all these YC programs that were created for like founders coming up, hey, you have to apply to YC, were created by, um, you know, like companies that have gone through YC. It's like, mm. you know, uh, Paystack had a YC program, right? And a couple of companies went through, you know, like uh, like a YC application program, like mm. help you know, help them, you know, refine their pitch, whatever, go through. A couple of companies went in like a lot of those companies also created like these programs for other people, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happened is that, uh, you, know, you know, the investors in these companies saw the value that YC creates uh, into the startup in terms of one valuations and the ability to think at a bigger scale. Um, started, like the investment company started helping these companies. Like if I invest in you, let me help you get into YC. One, I get a, a markup on my valuation, but mm-hmm. you get the idea of you, you get more capital up front, right? You get more capital when you go through that uh, a program because it exposes you to uh, other investors and it gives gives you the access of at a, at a global a global a global level. I think in, in South Africa, you, you will see as these companies go through YC now, there's a couple in South Africa that are going through the, the program now, I know two at least. Um, you know, you'll see that hey, they've 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 uh, they've received value in the programs. Um, you know, it's like um, let's let's help other uh, let's help other founders. But the thing is, in South Africa, that uh, most VCs are not incentivized to help these companies to do it because one, mm-hmm. um, it gives them if it, it gives if a company skips an, an, an investor in SA and goes straight to YC. That uh, no South African investor will, uh, will actually invest, right? Mm. Because one, what happens is that this company gets a a Delaware C Corp, whatever, uh, whatever you know, registration that get so they US entity now, right? So they get able to get funds through that entity, whatever they create a mirror into South Africa to actually work. But now the problem is that these investors in South Africa are locked out because they can't um, invest at a higher 
at mm. a higher amount because of exchange rate controls, right? So I think I think we will get a program where hey, like if you wanna think at a, if you wanna build a global business and think at a global uh, global scale, you kind of need to think about going to to IC, right? It's still beneficial for 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 an African investor, to, uh, African founder to do it because of. Uh, the amount of capital that it gives you upfront to you, to validate your your idea and to it allows you gives you access to higher um, quality investors. Not to dig into Africa's VC ecosystem, but it gives you the ability to raise more to just figure out the business easier and the global mindset. Right. Someone was posting, I think yesterday or the day before. I just don't just don't remember the the person um, that the biggest competition for. African founders and like startups right now is for talent and not capital. Yeah, uh, especially in Nigeria, right? So it's like um, because once you have the capital, you kind of need to hire a high quality team, right? And now, if you want to hire a high quality team, you kind of need to pay up in terms of salaries, right? Mm. And the thing is, especially with businesses in in Africa based Africa focus, is that you essentially charging you essentially receive like. You receive in, in investment in dollars, but you're charging whatever local currency that you have. Mm. So the, the the delta between what you receive, like one dollar, is not equal to one naira. It's like four hundred and something naira. Mm. One dollar is like sixteen rand, right? And but for you to get that money back, you kind of need to uh, make a one for one, like, and it's not the same. Like, it's not the same. And what the world has discovered now with the remote working is that I can get a, especially engineers, I can get a higher paying salary mm, uh, anywhere. anywhere in the world, mm. you know, and one, it's not, and the companies are, are, are kind of figuring out like, hey, engineers in Nigeria are very high quality, right? Instead of paying uh, a Silicon Valley engineer, what, $150,000 a, a year, mm, let me yeah. pay this dollar, half of that, seventy-five dollars or $70,000 a year, um, that's that's a lot of money and if you're chilling in Nigeria, right? Mm. If you're chilling in Cyprus, that's a lot of money. Mm. But a local company can't afford to pay <laughs> one engineer almost two million rand a year, you know, to actually, you know, uh, be with us or whatever, code with us. Right? So it becomes a, of a situation where, you know, we have all these pool of junior developers who are essentially seeing this as a gateway to go up to these companies and mm. and you have all these senior engineers or like hey man i can have two or three jobs sitting in here mm. uh why do i actually have to there's no moral obligation for me to stick with you um so that's why you kind of you kind of see that one culture is important right um you know culture is important in an organization in order to keep people incentivized like that's why these guys in nigeria are always referencing paystack culture like paystack people don't they have really low attrition like People go there and they stay for long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it goes again, like, who are the founders of these companies? Like, what qualification do you have to be, like, the CEO of the company? Like, a lot of them are just, you know, it's like, uh, they were an engineer at a company and now they're CEO of a company. That's a totally different role. And to scale yourself up, you know, quickly enough for you to be, to command that uh, respect from, you know, somebody that, you know, is willing to take, like, an, another job somewhere is just, just difficult. When you think about like uh, the amount of money that was raised in startups in Africa last year, which was like record, you know, record numbers, and mm. obviously some problems, you know, for example, the capital that's like uh, invested in women-owned um, startups being like a, a, a ridiculous amount, like just very small. But besides that, and like I think I'm hoping this year is like very different in that regard. 
what do you think is going to happen this year? I mean, Jan has already been like crazy and like the startups that are raising money have like gone out, gone out of the blocks like so quick. Um, yeah, do you yeah. see the trend being one that like accelerates where it's like so much even higher this year than yeah. it was last year? Yeah, yeah, because you have to take a like a long term view when you're looking at Africa. Like, even if you're a foreign investor, you kind of mm. need to take a long term bet that is counterintuitive to whatever market existing in 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 the USA, right? Because of so much uh, infrastructure needs to be built, it's like mm. you know it it becomes a longer term play rather than a relative. Hey, I can do quick markups to my investment and these people can exit right um so that's why you're kind of seeing the, the this flow of capital even from last year that one you have big companies now like you have your flutter waves of the world you have your chipper caches of the world you know you have these big companies um that are have scale right now and then you have young entrepreneur hungry enough to do that right because they've they've seen the the the, the benefit of of you know, building a business uh, in, in, in your country, right? But the thing is that, again, it speaks to the element that it, there's a lot of in, inequality of capital, right? Because of whatever nuances that exist in the market. But I think uh, what needs to happen is that more capital needs to go to gender lens, um, gender lens uh, funds, right? Like funds that are necessarily woman-focused. I think there's another one called uh, uh, Athelia. I don't know like Athelia, it's uh, Pulo, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, there's another one, uh, first check in, in Nigeria by two, two, those in, two incredible women that run, one that, that, that uh, fund, but you kind of will see that, hey, because, you know, there's value in actually creating uh, society because women are interested. Uh, are intrinsically the breadwinners in like African societies. Like if you give them, they are necessarily more robust enough to build long long term businesses. But you kind of need to have a more focus, and you have to have parity in a, an investment process, right? You, you don't necessarily only need gender lens focus, but you kind of need equality of opportunities from these funds that are really um, big enough, like uh, your hundred million dollar funds uh, are, that are really big enough. You kind of need them to actually be actively looking to 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 you know balance the, the the landscape of the investment Dali what do you think is going to be the biggest opportunity for people this year and this could be like from a, especially from like a opportunity from an economic sense like where's the money going to come from uh. Well, I'm going to be biased as NFTs. No shame. Yeah, apart from that, I think uh, agriculture is still uh, one of the, the... How come you never talk about your agricultural work? <sighs> no, because that's not... <laughs> no, because that's not necessarily the business that I run full-time myself, as in it's run by um, another managing director. Who reports to you. No, no, no. As in, as in we, we report to each other, as in that's why we have executive committee meetings. But, um, yeah, as in if you travel the rest of Africa, and I think even if you talk to a person like Uweza, right, there's so much undeveloped land. Uh, it was even funny that I went on a hike just this morning. It was in was it Lone Hill. Mm. It was like, yeah, at the top, you look, it's like, damn, there's so many trees and the likes. Whereas when you compare it to like modern cities and the likes, where it's just literally a concrete jungle, right? Mm. Where everything has already just been uh, turned into buildings and the likes. 
So I suppose as an, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, agriculture is probably going to be a booming sector, considering that I think who, there's still going to be a whole lot of people who uh, want to what's it, um, feed eat? the country. Yeah, eat, <laughs> of course. That, that's one thing. But, but the reason why I was just going... Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, but the reason why I was just talking about NFTs and the likes is that it's, like, it's easy money. Um, if you're creative, um, and I think quite a lot of people, it's not to say that it's um, discrediting people who are engineers and the likes, right? But I think quite a lot of people have creative endeavors. As an even oops, I had a newsletter that he was writing. I still have it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and you're necessarily doing a podcast, right? So imagine that now you're, you're paid for um, the work that you just do on a day-to-day -day basis. But that's just my bias. As in, for this year, that's what I'm looking at. I'll see as in what happens uh, next year, but I'll probably just place my bets on NFTs and agriculture. Yeah. Krista. What? What's the biggest opportunity that anyone should be starting a startup in, in South Africa? Ooh, that's tough, man. Like, like I have, I have anti-markets, like markets that you shouldn't go into. Okay, <laughs> give me your what's your top three. Yeah, my top three is probably uh, one tra transportation, <laughs> two, uh, two healthcare, three education. <laughs> that's that's from an intro entrepreneur. I just want to check: Does the taxi association have you in their pockets? No, no, checking. no. It's, it's just it's just yeah. those are top, like very very tough markets uh -huh. to actually uh, build a business because you're you're fighting. Uh, Please just say the top three again. Transportation, healthcare, and education. Like, as an entrepreneur, those are like very, very tough markets because mm. now the thing that that happens is that you have a bunch of people that actually don't want to pay for your service. Like, mm. you know, like healthcare, like uh, medical aid is very tough to pay for, but it's necessary. Um, you know, it's only affordable because it's subsidized by the company. The company yeah. uh, and then, you know, insurance companies need to make money on the other side. They're getting charged higher rates. <laughs> by hospitals, like, and then they screen over the doctors because they, it's just a very tough market to actually make money, right? And then mm. education, another one, right? Uh, a lot of people believe education should be a, a public and free good. It's mm. like, who do you charge in that element? Mm. Like, it needs to be subsidized you, by the government. That's if you were trying to did. That's the thing. Right? <laughs> just took the, it needs to be subsidized the, for it to mm. be affordable. You kind of need to have groceries and stuff. Like, you know, and transportation is just transportation. Like, are you going to build a railway road? Are you going to build in another Uber? It's like, it's just what, where are you going to make your money there, right? Uh, you know, it's like, those are tough markets. Those are my anti markets. So, what's um, one good market? Uh, one good market? Yes. Uh, retail, retail is a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going at TFG? Your bias is like... <laughs> Shut the lights out. <laughs> the third quarter, do you see our, uh, our Black Friday numbers? Like, uh, <laughs> but again, uh, retail is a scale market. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a market that requires you to have scale. Mm -hmm. But it's, a, it's still a, a good market. Like, you know, there's a bunch so, of people sell, selling shoes. They'll build hundred million rand business true, right? true, that's true, true. Um, you know financial uh, biases again financial services but it has a high barrier to entry mm -hmm. um, like uh, I like every, I like businesses that have defined business models like you know uh, you know I've got this craze now of like because uh, we bought a business last year like uh, how do you scale the advertising side of the business like mm. I'm, I'm very heavy into advertising like how do I sell ads to people <laughs> so so I'm on Mark Zuckerberg's camp here it's like hey you kind of need to sell more ads. Because <laughs> how businesses are supposed to grow if you can't sell ads on Facebook. Like, you need to sell more ads. Um, to chill. 
Okay. Last question. And I think I'm going to use this as a first question for all my podcasts this year because this is my first one. Mm. Um, what is one thing you wish you learned about starting a business, starting or building a business when you started? So what's one thing you know now that you wish you know you knew when you started your journey? Uh, so what? Yeah, Charlie, yeah, I don't, don't want a business. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just um, people, people um, hiring people. I think that's probably like the hardest job. As in, I I find it easier to deal with the code than it, it comes to dealing with people, right? Because I think it's uh, the fact of firstly, if you're starting your business, you need to know who exactly you need to hire, right? What is the job that they're gonna do? Make sure that you can actually measure it, and then also the mere fact of um, just the emotions, because they're people at the end of the day, right? Some of them might be going through um, the fact that they this is their first job, right? There's a different set of expectations. Some people might have been in the job market for quite some time. Some people going through divorces. Some people going through A, B, C, and D. Some people actually um, doing quite well, where they actually want to uh, work with you to actually build a great company together, right? So I think people is probably the, the, the one lesson I wish I was probably more trained towards compared to everything else because to be quite frank accounting is not that hard it's just numbers on a computer um CAs are not gonna like what you just said <laughs> 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 oh, okay. uh, well the thing's okay this is also bias uh building websites and the likes uh, i know <laughs> right? um a variety of other things where i think there's already a whole lot of other structures but i think people management is the biggest thing that's why they even hide oopster because they're like hey this guy can probably get I, things i don't like. manage people daddy i'm, <laughs> I'm what's called hey, an ic nah, individual yeah, contributor nah, yeah, yeah. you're in, in charge of what's it murders and Execution, I'm not right? charging that. <laughs> somebody because my boss is in charge of that, and then there's somebody I am just there for words. <laughs> what is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? I didn't say business. Ah, uh, journey is like it's important to pick your market. Like you kind of need to enjoy what you like where you work. Like the market that you work in is very very important for what you do. Um, if you don't really enjoy the, the one you market to, the customers that you're serving, like it's, it's just gonna be flipping boring, you know. That, that's why I probably can't build a P2P business because, uh, you know, like I enjoy people more than I enjoy businesses, <laughs> you know. So, so um, yeah, you, you have to you have to be able to pick your market. Uh, that means you need to be able to pick your customers that you wanna serve. And that's it. That's important. Just for starting, right? Uh, again, Daddy has skill problems. Uh, yeah, just for starting. Mm. I have a cheaper stuff that I can recommend. <laughs> hey, I've already just got the executive assistant. So we'll, we'll see you from there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chiz. <coughs> that is like a three-part podcast. Yeah. What do you mean? Ooh. It's like four Ooh. hours. It's only two. Huh? To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.